Welcome to Off The Grid Radio. Better ideas to bust you and your family out of today's global control grid. Now, here's today's show. Hi, welcome to another edition of Off The Grid Radio. I'm Michael Faust of OffTheGridNews.com. Survival in the wilderness is never easy, but survival in the wilderness when it's frigid cold and snowing, that's even harder. But if you're prepared and know what you're doing, you can do it and live to tell about it. Winter survival is our topic on this week's edition of Off Grid Radio as we talk to Dave Canterbury, a survival expert and the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller Bushcraft 101. He's also co-owner of the Pathfinder School. He teaches survival classes, and he also has a, he also has a YouTube channel that has nearly half a million subscribers. We'll talk to Dave in a moment, but first, let me tell you about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is MyCellarBackup.com. The power grid is aging, and blackouts are becoming far more frequent. The solution is quite simple. Believe it or not, you can get free electricity that will work even when your neighbor's power is out. While they're grabbing their flashlights, your lights will still be on. Learn more at MyCellarBackup.com or call 877-327-0365. Dave, we've seen you on video. We've enjoyed reading your articles. It's great to finally talk to you. Welcome to the show. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. First question, just to kind of start us off here on this topic, is winter survival, in your in your view, the most difficult season in which to survive in the wild? I think that that's an environmental question more than anything else. I think that you, you have arid environments that are very difficult to survive in because of the lack of water. So that can get you very quickly. Dehydration is a very quick killer of people. But at the same time, like you said, the winter environments where you have problems with hypothermia can become very quickly deadly as well. So I think winter environments probably people struggle with more because there's more winter environments in the U.S. in general than there are arid environments where people travel. I'm uh, I'm asking this question because as I, as I record, you and I were talking a second ago. As I record this, it's going to be neg- a high of negative seven where I am in a few days, and uh, and I'm just picturing how in the world do you survive in that in that uh, in that you know in that environment. We'll talk about it here in a second, uh, Dave. But I do want to ask you up, up front here: How did you get into this topic of survival? How did you get so interested in in survival in the first place? You know, it came around from several things. Really, um, I did a lot of work outdoors in the past from being a commercial fisherman to working on a reptile farm to actually hunting reptiles for a living in some nasty, swampy environments. And I got into historical reenacting, and I started reenacting 18th century stuff and understanding what few items people could actually live with and few items they needed. And I was also a hunting guide for a time. And all of those things kind of melded into my interest in survival and then as I started to do YouTube videos showing people how to do different things, I had more people prompting me and asking me survival-type questions. And so that led me into doing more research and learning more based on that and practicing more skills myself. And then I started to become more of a teacher than a learner, although I'm still a learner every day. I learn things new every day, and I think that that's part of the, the wonder of nature itself is that you can learn something new every single day. But that's what really got me started in teaching survival to begin with, was just going out and doing it myself and having people ask me questions that were relevant to survival. Let's quickly uh, talk about um, everyday carry for winter. Uh, EDC is, is a topic that's uh, you know, really a big one in our, in our audience. Uh, what would you recommend people carry on themselves 
during winter that perhaps, you know, is, is unique to the environment? Well, I think in wintertime, you know, one of the things that you have to realize is I believe there are five things that everyone should have on their person at a minimum at any given time if they are recreating in the wild, no matter what the season is. And the first one is a cutting tool. And those five C's are really just categories of items. You have cutting tools, combustion devices, containers, cover elements, and cordage. And those five elements change with the seasonality, with the environment, and with the geographic location that you're operating. And in most wintertime environments, part of that cutting tool asset is going to have to be an axe because you're going to want something that you can break into wood that's even frozen if you need to get the dry wood centers of wet logs or if you need to process material down for firewood or kindling you're going to want an axe and it's much more difficult to do that with a saw or a knife in a winter environment where wood is frozen so cutting tools cover elements combustible device containers and cordage those are those are your 5 Cs let's talk about fire starting right yeah those let's talk about fire starting specifically because um, I'm guessing that that's the number one priority in winter survival, correct? Am I, am I correct there, Dave? Yeah, I would say in winter survival, fire is probably the number one priority. Being able to light a fire on a moment's notice in any weather condition, especially in the winter if it's cold, windy, wet, that's very, very important because that allows you to warm water for rapidly warm from the inside. It allows you to take advantage of the radiant heat from the fire for rapidly warm from the outside. You can then build shelter elements around that fire to take advantage of its convective radiant heat from the fire. There's lots of things that you can do with that fire that make it very, very important to your winter survival. So combustion devices are definitely going to be a necessity. And you want something that will create open flame. You also want a resource that is an extendable resource beyond something that will be a one-time use or short-term use. And when I say one-time use, I'm talking about like a match or a red cylinder. Mm-hmm. That's a one-time use. You burn it up and it's gone. And you have something that's a little bit longer term, like a lighter, but I would consider that very short term as well because it runs off the fluid. Mm-hmm. So you want an open flame device of some kind as your number one priority. So give it, And then give, you want something... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, give, it, give us some suggestions there, but go ahead with, with what you were saying. Well, you're, again, that's my suggestion would be whatever you're comfortable with, but to me... A cigarette lighter, like a regular Bic lighter, is a very handy resource because they are cost-effective. You can put multiples of them in your kit very easily and put them in your pack, your haversack, your boat pouch, your pockets, you know, your fishing tackle box. You can have them everywhere and anywhere, and they don't take out much space. The problem with a cigarette lighter is they're susceptible to wind, so you've got to get yourself out of the wind. They are also susceptible to cold weather, but you can do things like put them next to your body heat to warm them back up, and they will function. Matches, while they're probably less susceptible to things like the cold weather, they're more susceptible to things like moisture and wind. Mm-hmm. So you've got given tanks there, and then you've got something like a road flare, especially if you had a vehicle, and you have a road flare in your vehicle, that's going to be a one-time use, but it's going to, it's going to burn just about anything that you put it against over time. So... Anything that will create an open flame is your number one flame, your choice there of the gamut. And then you need something that you can rely on to make hot sparks for more well-balanced tinder sources, better collected tinder sources that's long-lasting, like a ferrocerium rod. 
which you see everybody talk about, the flint rod, the flint rod, the fire rod, the ferro rod. They're all the same thing. And it's just a rod made from material that's pyrophoric and it spontaneously combusts with friction and oxygen, and it throws a 5,000-degree spark. But that rod will last you for a very long time if you know how to use it properly. And then you should always carry something like a magnification lens for starting fires through embers because the sun's a renewable resource. So that gives you three options. You have an immediate option or a surefire option, which is an open flame. You have something that's long-term and extendable resource like a ferrolite. And a magnifying glass is basically a forever resource unless somebody turns off the sun. A lot of people on survival forums, uh, Dave, talk about uh, not just ferro rods, but also carrying you know cotton balls soaked with Vaseline. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that a, is that a good idea? Um, it, it's a good idea to a certain extent, but every type of fire tender device takes a certain amount of knowledge because you have to understand that Vaseline is a fuel; it's not an accelerant. Mm-hmm. So the best fire props that you can carry with you for the short term are something that contains an accelerant base. And an accelerant is gasoline, is an accelerant. Diesel fuel is a fuel, and that's the difference between, like, Vaseline and something like alcohol. Alcohol is going to be an accelerant where something like Vaseline is a fuel. So the, the, old, the, the old standby of Vaseline and cotton balls, while it works, you can't saturate the cotton with Vaseline, or you cannot expose the fibers of the cotton, and that's what's going to catch your flame or your spark, not the Vaseline. The Vaseline is going to be an extender because it's a fuel that requires open flame to burn. So while it's a good option, it's not necessarily the best option. In my opinion, the best option is probably some type of fatwood or a surefire like Mini Inferno. And Mini Inferno is a product that we create, that we own the patent on, and it is a wax-based accelerant fuel that comes in a cotton pad that you can completely immerse in water, pull it out, tear it open, hit it with a ferrocerium rod or lighter, and it's going to give you five minutes of, of flame no matter what. What's the name of that again, Dave? Uh, Mini Inferno. Gotcha, just in case people want to know. Okay, so so people... But go there's ahead. lots of things out there you can use. Fatwood is an, is a natural accelerant. Birch bark has natural accelerants and oils in it that burn very, very well. There's lots of natural materials that you can collect as well. If you do that, you know, if you have those available resources when it's an emergency. As far as carrying something goes, I wouldn't necessarily carry a natural tinder resource other than maybe fatwood, but I would carry something like a micro-inferno or even a, a mini-inferno or even cotton balls of Vaseline. Whatever I had that would burn, that I know is going to readily burn, is always something to, good to add to an open flame resource. So let us let me ask one more question before we go to the break, um, because, you know, if you if you have a fire starter on you and, and you and you have something to start the fire and then you have, you know, something else to, to get the fire going, you've still got to find something to keep the fire going, wood or twigs or leaves or something. That's but correct. That's hard, though, in the wintertime. So what do you do? Look up. Okay. I always tell people in the wintertime, look up. In any foul weather, look up, because you're going to find branches that are dead fallen hanging above the ground that aren't soaked by snow or rain, that have been sitting up in the wind and they're dried and already dead and fallen off the trees. You can also find pines and things like that that have the lower branches that have already died that are still on the tree. And at the base of those branches where they connect to the tree will be a resin-laden wood called fatwood. So that's a big advantage as well. Understanding the natural resources is a very important part of being able to make a sustainable fire in foul weather or winter weather conditions. And pines 
and birches are always going to be your go-to species of trees or firs or hemlock, anything like that that has a resinous wood should be your go-to for a winter fire because it's going to give you a quick fire and it's going to be hot so that you can dry out more marginal materials you may have to collect off the ground. Awesome. Dave, we need to take a quick break. When we return, we'll continue our chat with Dave Canterbury looking at food and shelter during the winter. We'll be right back. Finally in the news this evening, it's being reported that cyber spies from Russia and China have now penetrated our power grid. Even as energy experts are reporting that each summer we get closer and closer to the limits of our nation's power grid, some say that this summer's demand for electrical power may finally push the grid over its edge, creating a cascade of power outages across the country, putting us all in the dark. Are you prepared for the next round of storm-related outages or government-created blackouts? Have you ever thought about taking steps to get off the grid and generate your own private supply of electrical power? If so, this will be the most important information you have ever heard. Solar-powered generators are finally available. They have no moving parts to wear out or break and require absolutely no gas whatsoever. Remember, the government doesn't own the sun. So go to MySolarBackup.com. That's MySolarBackup.com. Check out MySolarBackup.com before you lose your power. Off the Grid News, because you want a different paradigm. Dave, let's now turn to uh, uh, shelter and, and food. And those are, you know, just like starting a fire in, in, in the winter, that, that's kind of, that's extremely hard. Finding shelter and food is also difficult. So let's start with shelter. What do you do, with, you know, uh, with shelter during the wintertime? How do you, how do you find it? Well, you know, again, I go back to that cover element within the five C's. The first thing is you should always be dressed for the proper environment that you're operating in, and you should be expecting any changes in weather that might occur. So you should have an outer shell and things like that. And wool is always going to be the king in winter weather because wool retains about 75% of its insulated value that's wet. So I always have a layer of wool on, whether I have something on the outside of that and underneath that or not, I always have a layer of wool. And then... If we're going to carry some type of shelter option with you as an emergency, and what I tell people is you should always have an emergency space blanket that's reusable because you can take advantage of that reflectivity with the fire to convectively warm your body. If you lay in front of that space blanket and put a long fire in front of it to lengthen your body, you can take advantage of convection to warm your body. You should always have a, some type of trash bag, uh, like a three-mil drum liner works the best. And you can stuff that thing with leaves, make it four inches thick to lay on top of, so you're not suffering from conduction at all. You could always curl on the side if you had to, but you've got to leave it open or you're going to sweat. So you've got the space blanket that you can wrap around yourself in front of a fire, or you can set it up to the shelter. You've got a garbage liner, a garbage can liner that you can put on the ground as a moisture barrier. You can also stuff it to avoid convection or conduction problems from the ground. And then you should always have a wool blanket with you in the wintertime. No matter what, you should have a wool blanket. I prefer a queen size, but if you can't find queen, a twin will work. But the secret to wool is layering, and if you've got a queen size blanket, you can taco up in that thing and roll around it and create a lot of layers that will trap heat. You can get about three layers around a human body with a queen size wool blanket of wool that you can trap heat in. 
and taking advantage of that with the fire and a reflective space blanket, you can survive pretty well in the short term. What about foraging and, and during the winter time? Uh, that seems like an impossible task, but I, there are there is stuff out there that that people can survive yeah. on, right? I mean, obviously, there are things that you can eat even in the winter time. They are going to be more difficult to find. Um, the resources are going to be more resources that you're going to find in the trees than on the ground in a wintertime environment, although there are some late berries and things like that you can eat. You really need to think that the biggest thing that I tell people is in a, in a short-term scenario for the three days, just plan on not eating. Anybody can go three days without eating. It might be miserable, you might be hungry, you might not like it, but the fact is most people don't understand what they can and they can't eat in, a, in an environment in the woods anyway, mm-hmm. and if you're just guessing at it, you could make a deadly mistake. Mm-hmm. So it's easier just to think to yourself, okay, I'm not going to eat for three days. If you want to drink water, you're going to be fine for three days. Mm-hmm. If it goes beyond three days, then you might want to think about things like meat sources. And again, I say go to the water's edge for that stuff. Because meat sources are really easier to gather a lot of times in the wintertime, especially around water, than you're going to be able to find edible plants if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. But you can always break through the ice, and you can do some ice fishing and things like that if you have to. But really, for the short-term emergency, you can go quite a long time without eating and be safer and better off than trying to go out and find food. The reason I ask you that is because um, we've we've talked to experts before, and have, um, I've read stories about eating bark tree off of pine trees, bark off of pine trees, I should say. Is that something that is easy to do, or is that something that you would also say, don't do it? You know, you can, I would say you're better off drinking pine needle tea for the vitamin C and the boost your immune system from being tired and overwrought and hungry and nervous and, you know, afraid or whatever you are when you're stuck, because the... You can't eat the inner bark of a pine tree. There's no question about it. That cambium layer of the pine tree can be eaten, but it's like a turpentine potato chip. Hmm. I mean, it's not <laughs> going to taste good. Okay. Uh, let's turn to water. Uh, I, I'm just assuming you're going to tell me you melt snow and drink the, drink the snow, but is, it that, is that simple, or what, what do you do? Well, water is a huge thing, even in the wintertime. Most people don't realize how important water is, even in winter. Um, water is probably your next priority. Once you, once you have understood that your self-aid is fine, hey, I'm okay, I can breathe, I don't have any cuts or injuries, I'm good to go. You've got your fire, you've got yourself sheltered from the weather. Water is your next priority, without a doubt. And finding fresh water, again, if there's a lot of snow around, you can melt snow. You don't want to eat snow. But you can melt snow, and that goes back to that container we talked about as part of that five C's. That container has to be able to be put directly into the fire, so it needs to be made out of metal. The, the guy that invented the plastic Nalgene water bottle, you know, I don't know what he was thinking, <laughs> because I would never, ever carry one of those. Mm-hmm. I want any container that I'm carrying to be able to be placed directly in the fire, and exactly for the reason we're talking about now. If I can stuff that thing full of snow, or ice and stick it in the fire and melt it and warm it up and consume it, then I'm not putting cold water into a warm radiator, which is just going to cool my body's core temperature down, which is what I want to absolutely avoid in a cold weather environment. I only want to drink warm liquids. Let's talk quickly, Dave, about uh, carry, um, not everyday carry, but what I call car carry. You know, wh- In other words, what, sh- what should every single person listening to you right now be, having, be carrying in their car during winter? 
Well, obviously, you're going to want anything that will effectively be able to get your car unstuck if it gets stuck. So if you've got a winch on the front of your vehicle, you're going to want straps, chains, all of that stuff to get that out. You're going to want anything that you can use to get it out from being stuck in the snow to include a large shovel. A couple bags of sand in the trunk or is not going to hurt anything because it adds weight to the back of the car, and it will help you get your car unstuck, so a couple bags of sand is not a bad deal either. Beyond what you need for your vehicle itself, for your personal survival, you should have at least two little blankets in there for every person that's going to be in that vehicle. You should have five gallons of water in there for every person that's going to be in that vehicle. And then back to this resource we were talking about with food a minute ago, you know, the food resource is real simple if you've got a vehicle because you can take a five-gallon bucket and fill it up with jars of peanut butter, and you're going to be fine. You know, peanut butter is a great resource. It's got lots of protein in it. It's got lots of calories in it. You just need water to be able to metabolize it. As long as you've got that five gallons of water in there, you'll be fine. But you want to put some food in there. You definitely want the water. You definitely want the wool blankets. And then you want things in there that are multifunctional. You know, road flares are not a bad call. They they can signal that you're broke down on the highway, but they can also start fire for you if they need to. Mm-hmm. Because sitting inside of a vehicle in a cold-weather environment and not being able to get warm is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's difficult, to say the least. Uh, in your younger days, uh, wh- what in the world were you doing with reptiles? Give us a little bit more information than, than just uh, a mention. What, you, what were you doing? <laughs> well, I, I, I ran a farm where reptiles were wholesaled into the pet trade, and I also went out and collected reptiles in the wild in the state of Florida back when it was legal, 20-plus years ago when it was legal to be able to do that. And you would catch snakes and things like that, and you would sell them into the pet trade or sell them for venom research, um, like rattlesnakes and things like that. And that's what I did part of the time while I was a commercial fisherman just to make extra money. All right. Um, and uh, for people who hate snakes, uh, I know a lot of them, uh, they're going <laughs> to be wondering why you did that. But you did it You did it for money, and it was it was some good cash, I'm sure. Um, tell us tell us uh, uh, more about uh, what, what you've uh, – about your books and about your pamphlets and we know how people can get more information about you. Because I understand you, you released a book last year, and you've got a book coming up in 2017 as well. Absolutely. Um, I have a new book coming out that's co-authored by my buddy Jason Hunt. And it's going to be on Bushcraft First Aid. It's basically a Bushcraft series that we've come out with. Um, we have Bushcraft Field Guide to Trapping and Gathering and Cooking to the Wild. And the book prior to that was Advanced Bushcraft. And then, as you mentioned, Bushcraft 101. So this will be the fourth book in the series. All my books are available on my website at selfalliantoutfitters.com, as well as a schedule of all of our classes. We teach classes not only on survival. We teach classes on everything from survival to pioneering skills to advanced navigation to blacksmithing, woodworking, and modern trapping here at the Pathfinder School. And all those classes are available um, on our website at, again, selfrelianceoutfitters.com. Selfrelianceoutfitters.com. And uh, once again, the, the book that you released last year was The Bushcraft Field Guide to Trapping, Gathering, and Cooking in the Wild. And the one that's coming up next year is Bushcraft First Aid. A Field Guide to Wilderness Emergency Care. Awesome, Dave. Uh, We really enjoyed talking to you, and we'd love to have you back on. Thanks thanks for uh, talking to us today. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much. Our sponsor today was MyCellarBackup.com. The uh, power grid is aging, and blackouts are becoming far more frequent. The solution, though, is quite simple. Believe it or not, you can get free electricity that will work even when your neighbor's power is out. Learn more at MyCellarBackup.com or call 877 327 
888-888-0365. As another reminder, you can visit offgridnews.com for the best off-grid and homesteading advice you can find anywhere. Visit our how-to section where you can learn everything from how to build a solar food dehydrator to how to get your food stove ready for winter. With engineer Richard Hartman, this has been Michael Faust. Please join us again next week for another edition of Off Grid Radio.